Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Tony Dean is a prolific indie hacker and I'm talking to him today. I've been following Tony's journey building and designing products in public on Twitter for years now. And that's what I wanted to talk to him about today. Indie hacking in public. We dive into how he creates visually stunning products and his approach to pricing and revenue models. You'll find out how he navigated the recent Twitter API price increase and then ultimately sold his popular browser extension Blackmagic to Hypefury for a fraction of what he could sold it at a few months ago. The indie hacker life is one of ups and downs, and Tony is sharing it all with you today, right here. Before we dive into our chat, just a quick thank you to our sponsor, Acquire.com. More on that later. Here is Tony. You've become one of the most interesting indie hackers to follow on Twitter. At least when I'm concerned, I love following you. And I think you're taking building in public to the next level. And so far, I've watched you build four different products in public on Twitter. And I think that's incredibly impressive. And even better, I think your products are incredibly well designed. So you're not just building awesome stuff. You're also designing it so well. And most indie hackers, they don't build good looking products. They don't, they're not good at design at all. So how did you learn to create such visually stunning products? Where does this come from? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for the kind word. I really <laughs> don't think I deserve all that. <laughs> and um, well, secondly, I think most of the indie hackers I know on Twitter are very good at design. You look at Locksnack and and uh, the the product SizeGBT by by Panu. Hope I pronounce his name right. And and product by by Fuktran. Every everywhere I see the indie hackers usually have a very good sense of design and they actually do the designs by themselves very well. So I kind of feel like I, I I'm only somewhere in the middle. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, if the, the very good design compliment is fit for me, but. Uh, <laughs> That's nice yeah. deflection right there. I think you're really good at it because I think I'm not good at it at all. I use Tailwind to get like a basic level, you know, to, of some kind of design. But after that, if I were to like build a custom component, I, I would, it would look really bad. And I'm, I'm using several of your products. I'm like Blackmagic and we can talk about the whole journey and the acquisition in a bit, but I use that tool and, and it's part of my, my Twitter process, obviously, right? It's I use it every day on Twitter and I've been using it most recently for my Twitter teardowns where I look into other people's accounts and I tell them how to build a better Twitter profile and it's it's just so good like I look at it and it has the the pie chart for the the things that they do and the the timeline and it's also visually clear and I think that clarity and how to present data that's something that's kind of what I mean with design not just the beauty of the product but your your clear visual represent representation of data and you have that in all of your products so that's what I'm what I'm saying do you do you put some extra effort into this to make it visually very clear it's actually a little bit difficult for me to tell exactly how I I am that good at design, but actually not that good. But okay, <laughs> uh, the the one trick the one trick that I always use is that I always try to use as much built-in components as possible. As you already mentioned, you use Tailwind, right? So I bought the uh, Tailwind components uh, library and um and just use that as much as I can. So. Not a lot of components I use in my apps are like custom built. And uh, about the, the the charts, I like I think I mostly I just use whatever deliver in the library itself. And uh, sometimes I have to tweak a little bit about the spacing issue. But other than that, the the only trick that I use is just 
stick with a template or stick with a component library, and uh, usually it will come with a with a good design. But uh, it's not fair to not mention that I also have a pretty bit a little bit of skills in Photoshop uh, in uh, the early early stage of my career. So um, and also I I used to work as a front end engineer and I had to work with a lot of designers building uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, right? And back then, they were very strict about how you implement the design into the, the front-end code. So um, they they have a very good designer, so they don't want to waste the money when you don't translate the, the design into something like 100% pixel-to-pixel perfect, right? So I guess over the years, I just pick up like what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, uh, how is a good spacing and and some other common uh, common sense around design? So I get that that somehow get in me and help me with you know design some custom components when I need to, and uh, and then uh, yeah, could be a little bit disappointed answer, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess not at all. A lot of exposure uh, train train the design skill in me. Yeah. So um, yeah. Well, that that is the answer, right? The answer is that you've done all of this before, and you had good designers to show you what good design looks yeah. like. Not everybody yeah. has this. If you come from a, like a technical, more background kind of background, right? You're building database stuff, or you're just a, a DevOps engineer, and you want to build something like a tool for other dev, DevOps engineers. You only know what I don't know, like Jenkins looks like, right? This, this yeah. software <laughs> that looks like it's from the '80s, and and you don't have the the kind of sense of what it could look like if it was well designed. That that brings me to a question I asked on Twitter um, just a couple days ago uh, before this is being recorded, obviously, um, who had a question for you because you're so big on Twitter now with 90,000 followers, which is crazy, right? Um, and people asked a couple of questions. One was by, by Catalan Pitt and he asked so how long you've been a software engineer before you went into indie hacking as a business building effort. And it sounds like you've been doing this for a while, right? So what's what's your story in terms of you know, how, how this came to be and when did you choose to start indie hacking for, for money? <laughs> right. Um, I've been a software de- developer for seven years. So uh, seven years working professionally for companies, right? But when I started uh, writing code, I was like 15 and uh, in high, uh, writing code in, in high school already. And I, w- I was very like interested in computers and, and coding in general. Back then I was writing application with Visual Basic Sys in, in Windows applications. And I was having a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So um, when I graduated and, um, and graduated, graduated from, the, from my engineering school, uh, life just get in the way. It just, I just go with the flow, you know, and just graduate, graduated, get a job, get a high paying job and, uh, and learn everything about the industry that uh, everything that you can then uh, get another job with a higher salary and then go on and go on. So I, I've been doing that for like seven years. And, um, during the years I've jumped around quite a lot of roles. Uh, first I started as a front end engineer and then I switched to back end. Um, and while, while I was doing all my, of my full-time job, I always have some side projects where I practice on mobile development, database, DevOps, and everything in between. So just a little bit of hobby and a little bit of professional work combined together. So I was learning a lot during those seven years. That sounds very much like the journey that I had myself. 
I, I, yeah. I started uh, many, many years ago, did some stuff here, some other stuff there, always building side projects, always exploring the other things in the field. So w- would you think that this is um, just looking at people who want to start indie hacking, who have the, you know, they want to be like you, build really cool projects and then then sell them, you know, or or build big MRR projects and, and monetize their lifestyle through that. Would you suggest they, they go and actually work in enterprise businesses first is that something you would like actively suggest is it uh it depends uh um so usually i would say that my seven years of experience is one of my very big unfair advantage so the way uh, because of that i i got i got advantages so i a lot of my products like i was able to build them very fast very quickly and get into the market very 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 quickly so if you are, if someone is who is a very new indie hacker and jump into this game, they could use the same strategies as mine, which is working in the industry, in the, in the industry for long enough and gather on experience and use that as their unfair advantage. But they can also use other um, other ways to uh, acquire some unfair advantages on their own, uh, because I'm, I say that because. I have seen a lot of other people who are not like working in the industry that long. Even for people who are from a completely different industry, jump into learning to code, and then they was able to build something while learning to code, and then the business went big. So definitely is not the only way to have some advantage uh, that you have to work for companies and 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 other um, uh, and and other people, but it. It definitely a way, and that is what I was doing, and uh, <laughs> not necessarily had to copy uh, the whole journey, but there's many other ways to approach this. Yeah, yeah, that, I I would agree. That's there's definitely no silver bullet in indie hacking. I, I guess in any kind of entrepreneurship, right? It's always a risk. It's always a risk to take, and the path there usually is a pretty wound path. It's it's uh, never a straight line. I I really like that. Um, when did you? I think one of the first projects you built was Dev Utils, right? That was uh, yeah. the one of the first things. That is um, for people who don't really know. It's it's a collection of software tools for devs that you sold kind of on a one-off basis, right? It's not a recurring subscription, right? Is, is that just, is that what it is? Yeah, it's a, it's a one-off uh, license that include one year of update. So uh, in the next year, they, if they don't want to up- upgrade to the new version, they can still continue to use that as, for as long as they can, as they want. So uh, it's it's the kind of the model that similar with some other popular softwares like JetBrains, IDE, uh, Sketch, if I remember correctly. So yeah, people can buy one time and use that uh, forever, or they can just uh, upgrade it when they need it. They don't have to renew it every year. So yeah, just one time purchase. I'm I'm asking these questions because in in our circles, indie hackers, everybody's talking about MRR, right? Everybody's talking right. about recurring <laughs> revenue and subscriptions and stuff. And you started with something that was not at least technically a subscription business. I think the next one you built, like Blackmagic, was a subscription business, and then Snapper yeah. was a non-subscription business again, and now Typing Mind is a subscription business again. Like you're oscillating between these two. Um, is that is that always just a choice that you make? A, about a particular product, like, or how do, how do you deal with pricing these kind of products? So usually the common sense I have is that if I don't 
I don't have a recurring cost to maintain to maintain the software, uh, to maintain the product. Then I don't have to charge the customer a recurring cost, right? A recurring uh, price. So um, for DevUtils, for Snapper, they are all software. If I don't update it, people can still use it normally, no problem at all. So I I don't have a lot of cost in the server to maintain them. So I only charge them like uh, one time purchase. But for Black Magic, everything is like data and database and and, yeah. and <laughs> Twitter and, uh, API, right? Twitter API, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> so a lot of maintenance costs, and also is a is an online service. So I need to man monitor the server and everything, so very closely every day. So a, a lot more a lot more cost associated with that. So that's why I it makes sense for those type of businesses, those types of products. I will charge a subscription cost. So usually, I don't wa- I I don't really like subscription model when I buy stuff. So I I don't want to to I don't want my customers to to have that feeling right. as well. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can relate to that. I, I think mostly if if you're selling as an indie hacker to other indie hackers, you kind of know what they feel, right? You get this the sense of what do they like? What do they not like? I really appreciate this. Thank you for sharing your thoughts because it shows to me, at least right now, how much you care about the people you're serving, right? The people that use your products, you don't want to charge them money if you don't need to. That is a really, really kind, a very kind sentiment to have when you're building a business and you're still making money. You're kind, but you're still making money. I just, I just want to point this out because so often people just charge, charge, charge because everybody tells them to, you know, get MRR out of products and then, you know, products don't change because they just milk them for money. I appreciate because I'm a customer of Snapper and I'm not a DefUtils customer, but I am a Snapper customer and I love the product. It's something I, I would probably pay you monthly if you asked me to, because I like you. But as a product itself, it was a super easy choice for me to just buy it. And I guess that is that is revenue for you and it make it easy for people to purchase. Right. Um, I, I would like to talk to you a little bit about black magic. That to me is one one of the the other tool of yours that I use. I think I use two of your four products. I'm a big fan of you and your products. <laughs> and and black magic, like I said earlier, has been a, an integral part in in my professional Twitter life. And I think ever more has it been an integral part of your life. Right? You recently uh sold the business to Hype Fury. Yeah. You posted about that on your newsletter. Um you sold it for and I'm just gonna throw a couple numbers in here, one hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars overall mm-hmm. in, in deal value to them. Mm-hmm. And um th- there's obviously a big story to all of this because you had acquisition offers in the past. I think what the first one was like forty thousand, I guess uh, a right. year and a half ago. And the second one was five hundred thousand, but with a hundred yeah. up front and then the other kind of staggered over time. And now you sold for 128 ups and downs, right? That's the indie right. hacker journey. And I, I would like to talk Absolutely. to you about this. Um, maybe for people who uh, are completely oblivious to what's going on on Twitter, can you explain to me why you had or felt you had to sell this browser extension based, uh, really, really cool Twitter tool? What, what happened there? What was the process for you? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, Black Magic was like, Quite a journey for me <laughs> from the beginning to the end. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, I mean, if you are on Twitter, you know about the, the pricing change in the Twitter API when Elon Musk decided to get more revenue for their, <laughs> for the company. 
So um, uh, a few months ago, uh, when they announced that the Twitter price, the Twitter API price will increase and there will be no more free plan, I was like very opti- optimistic that the price will be somewhere like hundred dollars, two hundred dollars a month. <laughs> I'm, I can definitely um, afford it, right? I, I at the time it was like at fourteen uh, k MRR, fourteen thousand dollars a month. Uh, definitely, I can, I can, uh, I can uh, buy this, <laughs> buy the subscription, buy the API. But then um, there was rumor going out. I there was a few people contacting me uh, in in my um, so so there was a in there was a private group of Twitter makers who originally founded by the Twitter uh, community themselves, the, the Twitter community themselves, and they organized this. But when twi- uh, when Elon took over, this group kind of, uh, nobody managed this group anymore. So a few people from this uh, private group reached out to me and uh, saying that there's a rumor uh, the, the Twitter API will no longer be free. And not only that, it will cost you minimum 42K a month. <laughs> 42K a month is not like 42K a year. It's a uh, $42,000 a month. And, um, and basically they are going to kill all the existing app anytime now. So, um, when, when that person told me the information, they also tell me that uh, I only had like one or two weeks before they decided to cut off the API access for every app. And, uh, he actually told me that, uh, the, the, the Twitter team tried to cut off all the app already somewhere uh, like last week already but they couldn't do it because something some technical issue and that result in a twitter outage <laughs> if wow. i don't know i don't know if you remember that oh yeah but at the I time, do. yeah, yeah. The, the twitter just went outage and a rumor is that uh, they tried to cut off access to the third apps but accidentally <laughs> cut off their own <laughs> 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 oh boy so, uh, so yeah we have a little bit more time so yeah at the time uh that was uh, that was a shock. I there's there's no way I would be still staying profitable with that cost in mind. So uh, at the time I was uh, wondering about uh, was considering about a few options. Firstly, try uh, is to completely sell. Um, there's a uh, another option is to somehow try to use private API and all that shady stuff. But I don't really want to do that. I, I really hate to use a private API and an unofficial thing because I'm trying to build a legitimate business, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. uh, the option is that um, from the from another Twitter community, some people have an idea of like, maybe we can unite together and create a company. Then we buy the API, API access. Then we can share it between all the small apps, including Blackmagic, which is still considering small at the time, right? And um, so I considering between those three options, the the private API I don't want to, the the unite together and and share the API key. It goes against the Twitter terms and condition, uh, obviously. So Twitter doesn't want to do that. And later uh, later on in the story, I, I get later, I get to later, uh, which um, uh, show that Twitter really doesn't uh, doesn't like it. And they are, they are actually very fine if you are doing that with with your with your API key. So um, yeah, uh, and eventually I will. Uh, the only le- option left is to uh, sell. And uh, at the time, I was looking for a few people to uh, to sell. One is the one who reached out to me, and I reached out to a few others. 
and uh, uh, I got a, I got two offers out of the out of uh, three potential buyers, and wow. then uh, High Free was one of them. I talked with Sammy. Sammy was also got the rumor somewhere <laughs> together. So we kind of uh, we I kind of know him before because I listened to his uh, Indie Hackers podcast and I know his story and I know about High Free and stuff. So we kind of uh, get in touch with each other. We got into a deal. Uh, signed the letter of intent, and then uh, we just move really, really fast because there was only a f- one week or two weeks <laughs> to to move everything. So imagine that if I don't move fast, and if the deal doesn't uh, haven't closed yet, and to the cut off the assets, people start to leave, and customer become angry, the value of the business will be much less, you know, and and things will be much more difficult to sell if that happens. So we. We kind of both understand that, and we move very fast with the uh, with the acquisition. Yeah, as soon as we signed the contract, Hyperi contacted uh, Twitter to share about the news, so that uh, Black Magic, um, Black Magic is now belong to Hyperi. So that um, you know, in the future, Twitter, if you are going to cut off the assets, just don't do that <laughs> with mm. Black Magic. So um, yeah, we kind of facilitate that, and uh, we managed to keep Black Magic alive when uh, they started to cut off uh, access to all the apps. And it, it, yeah, it, at the time it caused a lot of problems. So <laughs> yeah, that is the the whole thing. So um, it went super fast. I didn't have enough time to, you know, look for as many buyers as I can, as I want to. Uh, I am pretty sure that uh, it would be possible to sell at the higher price that uh, at the price I was I, I sold. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, critical time and uh, <laughs> Also, the first time I'm doing this, right? So, right, first time for me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a common problem for indie hackers, particularly when there is a, a crisis like the one that you were in. Like, you have no experience dealing with like being acquired. Like, nobody does this before they do, do it for the first time. So, everything is new. Everything is is dangerous. You never know, right? Can you trust people? And and is everything gonna explode? Um, I I remember the the process when you when you were purchased uh, or when you were acquired and you had to do this migration too, right? From the yeah. the authentication from inside Blackmagic to Hype Fury, right. you did that yeah. really well. I just want to tell you this. I think you did a good job at making it very accessible and very easy. But there there was a lot of work to be done to to migrate the business over, right? How how much did yeah. you how much did you have to do to to move the business into the Hype Fury family of products? Uh. We just mostly spend the time on uh, transferring the assets, the ownership of the assets. So in terms of the business and the product itself, there's not much changing, like n- not at all <laughs> beside, uh, beside the ownership, you know. So right now still two separate business, separate customer base. And uh, if you want to use both product, both products, you still have to pay for both. <laughs> so uh, not a lot change, uh, since then. So most, uh, most of the effort is spent on transferring the ownership. And uh, we, uh, at the beginning, we only spend on transferring the absolutely necessary uh, assets, like the domain and uh, the the payment, uh, the payment stuff, um, so that we can move fast with the process. And then later on, we will uh, we start to transfer all the stuff. That there's a list, long list of services where I need to, you know, uh, transfer the ownership, the, the admin permission to the new owner. And also, a lot of services I use are from my personal account, so <laughs> right. I have to spend a lot oh, yeah. of time to you know split that out. So that yep. is definitely an, a lesson there. If uh, in case in the future, 
you know you build business make sure to register everything under your yeah, your business domain mm-hmm. it will make everything easier but um at the time uh, i i know that earlier but um in order to save costs i won't, i cannot afford to you know register a new cloudflare account every time i open a business and and uh new account everywhere so uh, there's some account that i i still share with my personal account and only when i confident that the business can live on their own i will split account but it there was a lot of work and we're still transferring everything now i have i still haven't transferred the uh, mobile apps yet because quite a lot of requirements from google and apple to transfer those mobile apps so still haven't done but uh, we get we got everything working and the customer experience no interruptions which is the top priority right Yeah, that's that's good to know that you that you're still working on it. And yeah, it's complicated. It's it's yeah. even if these things were in your business's name, which is something that I regularly do suggest from the start, right? To separate your personal and your professional finances, logins or whatever, but even even if you had it like that, it would still take a long time with sure, these yeah. walled garden systems like the the Apple uh, App Store and and Google Play and that kind of stuff to just move things around. You, yeah. It sounds like you're you're still very actively working on this, and I think that's part of the deal, right? You're you're gonna stick around with the product for a while. How how is that structured? What are, what are you gonna do, and when are you gonna move out of that? Yeah. So the way it was is now that we have a new, uh, I hire a new uh, freelancers to work dedicated on the project. So previously, just me and my other freelancer who work with me on all of my projects, right? So, so I cannot afford to, you know, let him go work with Hyperi all the time because I, I have many projects for him to work with me. So we hire a new uh, freelancer and uh, we uh, uh, transfer the, uh, we train uh, her to work on the project, like uh, understand everything about techn- the technical part of the product. And uh, I will I will be monitoring and you know, uh, like providing a- assistance to the product in general. And I still code in, uh, for the product if I wanted to, but there's no obligation at all from the contract. So basically I just, um, for me to continue to work on black music for at least a year. So I will, uh, maintain and make sure the business is running uh, and everything is working correctly. And then, uh, after that, you know, whenever I want it, uh, I can just move out and we have a new person to take care of the business right now. And also have free onboard a team of customer support. So they, you know, they, they, they're really a big team right now <laughs> compared to what I learned from the last time I listened to the podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now they have grown into a pretty big team. So uh, they have customer support to take care of the, of the customers. Not, uh, I don't have to like closely monitor them anymore. <laughs> that is a lot of uh, free time for me. So, uh, Yeah, I guess uh, from now on, I, I will still continue to uh, contribute my part as, uh, you know, what features to develop next uh, and uh, how to work with the system and train the freelancer to be able to fully uh, manage the product. And then um, I guess at some point, I will declare the, the end of my relationship with Twitter in, uh, in everything, not my Twitter account, you know, <laughs> building pro- products with Twitter. Um, the whole thing about Twitter API change and Elon Musk really like, um, decreased the confidence I have in the platform in general, this, especially, uh, the recent changes in the, in the Twitter company overall and in the API team. So they, uh, for example, in the, in the dev forum, you see that they don't really have any one monitor there anymore, maybe one or two 
people at the time. And I also heard that from uh, people uh, on Twitter that even though they have access to the enterprise uh, accounts, they still don't have a lot of support from their <laughs> from the Twitter team. So I guess it's really a mess out there. And uh, I really have a, have a like, my people who are still sticking with Twitter and, and their <laughs> on the on the products out there like uh, Typhoonly, Twitter, High Free, obviously, <laughs> and uh, and all the other products was still sticking with Twitter, and um, yeah, uh, I guess at some time at some time I gonna look for something new, yeah. Yeah, you ran into platform risk, right? You you really yeah. felt what platform dependency means and what the risk is of building on something that is super shaky. I I do have one question, and this might be a painful question, but how did you feel when, like, a month after you sold, they introduced the uh, the five thousand dollar plan? Like that would have been something you could potentially have afforded, right? I yeah, initially I was like, uh, ah shit, if only they all announced it earlier. Yeah. But then you know, others considering. Uh, considering it seriously, I find that if they would announce it 5K, it would be a world of pain for me <laughs> to, first of all, uh, try to squeeze down the, the application to, you know, fit into this plan. And also, it's not like Twitter is, uh, the whole Twitter team and Twitter dev and Twitter API is working normally right now. There's still a lot of downtime and there's absolutely no customer support from Twitter, even though you are paying $5,000 a month, even 42K a month, you still have no support. So, and, and, and all of that is, it could feel like I will be spending more time doing useless things if I were trying to fit Blackmagic into that 5K. So I guess in a way, uh, misfeeling, misfeeling. <laughs> One way, on one hand, I could have a profitable business, right? 5K a month, I can pay for that, still have like 10K left for me to pay the cost and then some some for me to take home, right? But uh, in the other hand, <laughs> I will be like stuck with Twitter and and uh, don't have a lot of time to explore other stuff. That's right. Which, um, yeah. Yeah, and that's what you did, right? You you left yeah. that one platform and you went to the next platform. You went to OpenAI. <laughs> you built something there. There's always so, platform risk everywhere, right? You cannot <laughs> escape it. <laughs> but I do wonder, and, and let's talk about the thing that you are actually working on right now, right? Let's let's uh, talk about your current project. You you now have a project that made thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, that correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to be precise here. And and this is obviously some some good money and I I would like to talk to you about this because this is an AI project, right? It's it's built on on top of the the OpenAI uh ecosystem. How did you how did you fall into that? Because you, you were in in social media, you were building tools for like Snapper to me is technically a social media tool because it's, you know, about presenting screenshots in a really nice way it to is. be used yeah, on is. on social media and and then and Blackmagic obviously is a social media tool and then you you went to typing mind and typing mind is something completely different how did that happen and what kind of business are you building around that right so um typing mind uh, the the original idea was that i was trying to, uh, i was using the the chat app from openai the the default one you, you know the chat gpt app so there was a lot of things that i didn't like about it uh, about the app and i wanted to do it and I, originally i wanted to build a chrome extension to you know change how the way the the application work on my browser but then um I, at the time i didn't have time to do any of that i just just my idea i just try to explore what this ai thing will, will be and what can i do with it 
uh, can I build some business uh, around this? And um, yeah, during the time I used ChatGPT a lot, and and that's how I came up with with you know uh, some pain point that I wanted to fix with my Chrome extension idea. But then at some point, ChatGPT did a very big move. They released an API. Wow, I was not expecting that. They released API for chat. I at, at first I was like, okay, they have a chat app. There's no way they're gonna release API because otherwise, who's gonna use their chat app anymore? But they did. So uh, that is something I really like about OpenAI. They really like developer focused, and all the other later announcements since the time they announced the chat API till now, everything they do is chat, is like focused, and and they put a, a good effort on maintaining the developer community. And, and supporting them. So yeah, anyway, they announced the API. If I remember correctly, on the 1st of March, if I remember correctly, yeah, few days later, I built a very first version of, uh, of Type in My. I registered the domain name like uh, one day after, and then one day after, I have a first version of Type in My, wow. uh, which is a very small, like, uh, so the pain point I had with ChatGPT was that I was not able to create folders. That is the only thing. And the yeah. second thing is I cannot search for my previous chats. You know, yeah. like when you, quite obvious common sense things that people would mm-hmm. want to do <laughs> when they have a long list of chats. But you cannot do that in ChatGPT. So I built a, one simple app that allowed you to search the history. So um, I released the app. I shared it on my Twitter and people liked it a lot. And one thing they really liked about it is that you, you, you don't have to, like, you have to use your own API key. And whatever you use, you pay OpenAI to use your key. You don't have to pay me for everything, for every uh, chat that you made. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I saw that. So uh, a lot of people uh, on Twitter are excited about the app. And so I decided to put a price tag. I charge people like, if you want to use this, um, uh, in the, if, right now it's free because it's in, be- it's in beta, it's free. You can use it, but uh, if you buy right now, you can buy it for $9. And then uh, people just started to buy. <laughs> and uh, the first day, I think I made uh, like $1,000 or something. And nice. then the next day, $2,000. Next day, $4,000. <laughs> and then $8K and then $10K, uh, wow. $10,000, $10, which is my pin tweet. On my yeah. Twitter profile at the moment, which is <laughs> celebrating ten days, uh, ten thousand dollars of revenue, and uh, yeah, I it's really took off from there. And since that point until now, I just focused on talking to the people who are using it, talking to customers, adding new features, extending it, expanding it to other product lines where I offer some like hosted service. So. Um, yeah, that's that's how product uh, took off. So cool. That what what a story too. Like surprised by your own success. That that is like the indie hacker dream, right? <laughs> yeah. At first, I thought I was like, okay, I sell this for nine dollars. Maybe I can make like ten, like five thousand dollars, and then I can sell the whole thing on micro acquire for ten thousand dollars, <laughs> and then I exit the game. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> wow, I did not expect <laughs> to have that much customers. So uh, that really took me by uh, surprise. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I that that is surprising. Uh, did did you like actively launch it like in in a big big way, or was it just like sharing it as a building public project and people just took it? Out? I uh, initially I share on Twitter and I update everything on Twitter. But when I started to see initial initial traction, when I uh, reached uh, ten thousand dollars of revenue, 
I prepare a launch on Product Hunt and I basically use all the my resources that I have all the years, uh, on the last two years. <laughs> I only started this, uh, two years ago. So yeah, I use all the my resources to focus on that Product Hunt launch. And, uh, at the launch, I made like, uh, another $14,000, if I remember correctly, from wow. the launch day itself. So, um, there was an official launch of, uh, the product, which happened only a few weeks. Two or three weeks after the first version is released, so um, yeah, there was a launch. <laughs> You're quick. Your MVPs uh, take one day to build, and a week I, and a half to launch. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I was living again the days where I built Snapper and I built uh, Black Magic. I wake up every day, I code in the morning, and then in the afternoon I chat on Twitter and talk to people, and then repeat just coding, coding every day, every day release. I deploy in production like. Uh, 10 times, 20 times a day. <laughs> That's so cool. Every day, how, yeah. how much customer service do you get? Like customer service inquiries do you get on a, on any given day? Uh, right now, I think uh, every week we have like 10 or 12 nice. customers' emails. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not too much. So you actually have the time to focus on coding. You're not consistently barraged with like question, 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 right? Is there any way you deal with this? Any auto- first, automation there? There was, uh, there was a lot of customer support question as well, especially in the early days and in the launch days too. Um, uh, I use uh, Lemon Squeezy, which is a new platform that I use. So I also, that is something new as well in this project. So there was a few problems with the payments and uh, people contacted a lot. So I really had to spend a lot of time on email and answering people questions. Some people really don't understand how the app works and they suppose you you will need an API key to work, to, to use the app. But some people don't understand what is an API key and what is that. But they, because they see the launch and they see the discount price, they wanted to get it, you know. And in the end, I had to answer all those questions. Um, but in the end, uh, uh, until now, I uh, have uh, someone to help with me on this already. So this is something also different compared to the previous products that I, I run, right? Now I don't run alone or uh, I don't run alone anymore. I have a team of uh, one customer support. Uh, she's basically my business assistant. She helped me with everything, content, marketing, uh, customer support, um, uh, social media, everything, right? And I also work, still work with a freelancer that I have worked with uh, over, the, over the last year. And um, yeah, it's, it's bigger. It's more time for me to focus on deliver the features that I really like and I really want. So uh, it's something different. This time. Yeah, it is different. It, it, you're not a solopreneur anymore, right? Like all of a sudden, you're you're a big business <laughs> uh, leader. That's who you are. <laughs> um, I I still consider myself solopreneur uh, because uh, I don't really want to step into that management, uh, you know, role. And uh, it's still still right now, I the way I work with the freelancers is I don't spend a lot of time on managing. I really like put a lot of trust in their work and uh, focusing on on uh, making them independent like me. So no deadline, um, uh, no meetings, and uh, everything async. So yeah. Do you, do you have a lot of process? Like do you have like internal documentation for certain things? Like how to deal with problems, how to communicate with customers? No. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, we, we don't have anything. <laughs> so everything we kind of talk, we we uh, jump on a call and we just, I just, uh, explain what is this, what is that. 
and um, luckily the uh, uh, the team was learning very fast, and they kind of uh, get what I'm uh, what I'm doing, and I also like give them every resources that I have that I can to to make them understand the big picture. For example, I everyone in on the team can answer to customer support request uh, developer and uh, and my uh, business assistant, right? They can access to customer support and they can talk to customer, understand what is the problem they have, and they can just, sometimes the developer just fix the bug with the customer on the customer uh, support uh, portal without even me <laughs> taking a look. In an early stage business, like the the one that you're currently in, I mean, it's a couple months old, right? It's not that, not at yeah, all. Yeah. This, this is the way to go. And and I'm, I'm only asking about your process of documentation because you were talking earlier about Blackmagic and how you are still transferring things over, right? That would be easier if there was a, you know, good business manual, an operations manual, like a franchising document for a business. But that, that yeah. takes some time to establish. So that is something luxury to have. <laughs> yeah. Luxury <laughs> to have as a solopreneur business. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's that's the problem, right? For many solopreneurs, they never start doing this because they always want to be solopreneurs, and then they sell their business and they figure out, oh wow, I need this now. I need to train somebody to do all my jobs, and it's usually not that you need to train one person to do all your jobs. You need to train like five people: customer service, developer, and operations and marketing, right? All of these yeah. things that are in your head, you need to take them out and give them to other people. Which is why, and I don't want to turn this into a about documentation but as a german i love documentation so you have to forgive me about that it's um it's the sellability of a business becomes much more easy you can sell it more easily if you have stuff figured out and that's kind of why i'm asking because you said something just just a couple minutes ago about oh yeah at five thousand dollars i'm gonna put it on acquire and i'm gonna gonna sell it right and just just to let you know, Acquire.com is sponsoring this very episode of the podcast. Oh, so wow. <laughs> they're probably interested in in that, the rationale there too. Like you, you wanted to put it up maybe for a couple thousand dollars, but now the business is actually taking off. Do you still maybe think about eventually selling it? Like what, what's going on in your mind about this? Uh, for sure. Like every product that I own right now have a price. You can just give enough, <laughs> high enough right. price to sell. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a developer and I'm a businessman. You know, everything have a price. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point, I guess, uh, I will, uh, I will open for selling type in mind, which is the, the product. But at the moment, uh, I am having a lot of fun with it. So it will cost a little bit more to overcome that barrier. I actually had someone uh, contacted me and asked to buy the product. Uh, oh, wow! But um, yeah, I I also told them the same thing. I'm I'm having so much fun with this. <laughs> this it's gonna be expensive to take it away from me. Um, <laughs> and not not for the product alone, but like you're taking the fun away from me. So, <laughs> which is uh, remind me of the same thing I said when when mm-hmm. someone tried to buy Black Magic from me <laughs> for five thousand k. I rejected. <laughs> Then a few months, only a few months later, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I, I have the. I, I just read through the article again, like earlier today, that you wrote when you said, "Nah, I'm not selling." And it's like the, the, the same arguments are happening here. And obviously, it's a different situation, right? As you said, OpenAI, the company is much more developer focused, and it's kind of. If I'm thinking about this, it's kind of what Twitter used to be for developers, where they had like a really nice ecosystem, and they, right, they didn't yeah. make it hard to build stuff. They, they free everything was kind of free. Everything was available. I mean, it was an enterprise plan, but you know that's that's 
for big, big companies. For indie hackers, we could just use the API as we saw fit. I think OpenAI is still in that stage. And yeah, yeah. I, I hope that they're going to stay in that stage forever, but they might not because, you know, Microsoft and, and it's, it's also a business essentially. Yeah. So also the whole AI wave can just go down anytime. <laughs> that, that is the next problem, right? You're, you're living in this kind of uh, up and coming wave. And it makes me wonder, how are you dealing with platform risk now that you're again building at least on one of potentially many platforms right now? Are you considering building a more platform agnostic product that interacts with many? Like, how are you dealing with this so as to not make the same, I wouldn't call it mistake because nobody knew that it was going to happen with Twitter, but to not run into the same problem again? What are you doing for that? I, I thought about this at the very beginning of the, the product, type in mind. So I mentioned that in order to use type in mind, you have to provide your own API key, right? Which means uh, right now, type in mind, I run the product, but I don't have any API key at all. I don't need any because the customer, they're going to bring their own. So OpenAI, they don't have anything from me. I don't have anything from them as well. Maybe I, I need uh, the API to develop the app, to test it for whatever. But when the app is done, I don't need an API key to maintain the app. So they 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 cannot ban me, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's not like they want to, or it's not like I am challenging them. <laughs> but uh, it's just in, in theory, that I don't depend on OpenAI, my customer do. So uh, so that is something that I I thought at the beginning. I don't want to make another API like API grapper around OpenAI and charge the customer. A little bit more expensive than what OpenAI would have charged right. them. So that would have been a like you what something the term is the grapper business. <laughs> that's, that's a new term, <laughs> grapper business, which you take the API from someone else. Uh, you you take the API from OpenAI and then you build something like very slightly on top of it, and then you charge more more people. So at the beginning, I I don't want to do that. It is not the app like that. I'm gonna ask the customers. To provide the API by themselves, so um, so that's how I was thinking about like navigating and escaping this platform risk in the future. And also, right now, I type in my is not only about ChatGPT from OpenAI, right? I, I do support all the models as well. For example, you can use open source models like uh, GPT for all, Vicuna, uh, Llama, and and all the, the model, right? And also support uh, Anthropic Cloud, which is the new model. And also the Google model, the Palm 2 model will be supported soon as well. So this is something like, I con I consider this as, you know, the app where, the Postman app where you use it to send HTTP requests to some server you don't know in your, yeah. uh, er everywhere. Yes. I consider this as a application, a chat application, the generic application that you can connect to any LLM model AI assistant. And you can have a conversation with it with all the fancy features like search the history, uh, add to to folders, and and uh, all the fancy prompts and and uh, characters and stuff, right? So I considered it that way, so that it can stay a generic app and not depend on any of the uh, of the platform. So cool. 
I, that is really cool. I hope that is enough to escape this, um, you know, I, the platform rich nightmare. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts here because I, I I see two layers of 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 defense that you've built. That is really cool because I only thought about the one. I thought about the the second one that you were just talking about, like integrating other models, right? Because that's kind of what you want to. Do. If if one of them dies, if OpenAI implodes, let's hope they won't because the product is really cool. But if anything happens to any of the models, it's nice to still be to be able support to support other models, right? It's like having a business that has a lot of different customers and if one of them churns well you still have the others and that's kind of what you do with it with the platforms you support but the thing that that uh really i find really smart is to not sit as a wrapper on top but to be kind of like what you said with postman's just a tool to connect different two yeah. different tools and yeah. that brings me to uh, to another question because i know postman i've been using that a lot actually i think i've i've used Paw, the Mac client that does something similar. And I think there's also Nocturne or something, some other tool that is very similar to that. And that reminded me of, well, a lot of people probably think, okay, this is a cool tool. I'm going to build the exact same tool. You know, clones. Let's talk about that. You build in public a lot. You share all the things you build and all the ideas that you have. Are you a little bit afraid of people cloning your work or how do you deal with with uh, people that are just copycats in this very public world of indie hacking that you operate in very publicly too <laughs> yeah there will be copycats everywhere so um uh, every product that i have built there's copycats so yeah. um, 39 is not an uh, not an exception so um i guess uh, at this point i the best action to do with copycats is just to ignore them so I do have, I do keep a list of like more than 10 or even 20 now of the copycats who are like, uh, ill-fitted copycats. So there's a few way that people can inspire from your work, right? Some legitimate way that the people see what you're doing and they see that makes sense and they have their own way of doing it. But there are some people who are just like, for example, a few copycats that I saw to copy the design, copy the copy. There's a few FAQ section that they copy the whole thing, the, the same <laughs> question, same answer. So they uh, was, uh, <laughs> they were very carefully replace the product name. Uh, unlike the last time, you know, the last time people, uh, someone copied my debut deals up without even changing the name. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I find it, I feel a doubt. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I do know about all of those and not all, but I do keep track of, of those at some point. And then, uh, but, Mostly, I will ignore them on social media, um, and now I I don't really even keep track of them anymore because uh, it's, there are ways too much. This wave of like chat UI, uh, like AI chat UI, and also open source projects uh, as well. Um, there's just too many. It doesn't uh, serve any purpose to keep track anymore. So I, uh, right now, I, I lose track. But um, this AI, uh, this AI uh, UI application type of uh, product. Are everywhere now, so I guess uh, the advantage here is that I just have a like a first mover advantage. I have uh, have a lot more features and it's more useful. I have a lot of users as well, and um, I guess that is, uh, I will keep that as um as an advantage to compete in this world. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Would you consider your pretty sizable, almost six figure uh, Twitter presence to be one of those advantages as well? Like For a sure. absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yes. In the beginning, when I share that on my Twitter, it was the beginning of uh, of the product. If if the if that tweet didn't blow up, if I didn't have like seventy uh, k or something followers, I I I don't think the product will have uh will have seen the 
the day of light, <laughs> the live day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that makes perfect sense. I think for indie hackers like like yourself, who's very publicly sharing stuff, much of the success, the initial success, not the overall success, but the, you know the initial interest in the product comes from having so many people that might be interested in it. Also, your your capacity to launch on product hunt and knowing how to do it right. I mean, both Snapper to me, Blackmagic and uh, Typing Mind, they're all indie hacker slash product hunt compatible products. Right? You could. <laughs> you, they, they're good. They're, well, they are good on Product Hunt because the people who go to Product Hunt will want to figure out what this is. Particularly with, with Snapper, I feel it was just beautiful. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you built an amazing product. Let me just serenade your product you. a little bit. I mean, I mean, it is. It's really nice. It's super usable. It has features that other people never thought about, like redacting text or like that kind of stuff was always important to me. Particularly as an indie hacker, because when I share a screenshot, I don't want to share my name or my my login credentials. Right, I want this to be redacted. That you auto redacted. Did you like the, uh, the balance right? thing? Did you like the yeah. balance thing in the Snapper app? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that, among other things, I think it's uh, the, the the fact that you have your gradient thing in there, the the redaction that the little arrows and and the, that they have slightly different shapes. That's what I was saying earlier with good design. Like you have an understanding not just for visual design that that is already great, but I think you have an understanding for experience design in your products. Right. And, and that is something that, that comes, I hope, from being exposed to good designers and doing front end work and understanding what an experience is. Right. And that's something that you can't really, um, that you have to learn. You can't just have that by random chance. You have to understand it and learn it. So, um, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> Let me just say this. 2018, very awesome. The, um, what, what I, what I'm trying to say is these products are particularly good for product hunt because people on product hunt value good interfaces, good design and usable tools in their own journey. So, uh, what I'm also here kind of, kind of feeling with these products is that you built them mostly for an audience that you really understand well. That would be indie hackers and developers. Was it always a conscious choice to to sell directly to indie hackers or to to people in your own community? Uh, actually, I just built for myself. I that is the first priority. Um, I don't really spend a lot of time to targeting indie hackers and founders. I I spend absolutely zero thought on 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 that. So a lot of people see that all of my products like somehow feel like targeting indie hackers and founders, but I really don't intend to do that. It's just, I guess it's just like the, the Twitter circle that I am in have a lot of indie hackers and, and, and founders so that if make it feel like the product are targeted. Right. On those, but, okay. But it's in, just coincidence. In, yeah. In general, <laughs> it just built for me. Yeah. I, guess, oh, I love that. I guess. And, uh, and somehow like, uh, it makes sense with other people. So they, they do it. And, um, because I have a lot of India girls in my followers and my audience on, on, uh, Twitter. So it may feel, it may feel that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that is an interesting perspective because I, I would have just as well accepted. Yes. This is all intentional. Would have, would have been an acceptable answer too, but you're just saying you're building stuff for yourself and the people around you are like you. It's not surprising yeah. that we are yep. in communities that are like us and that they like it. Okay. Cool. Well, what, you, you have like four products now. You're probably working on more and I would love to know where this is going. But before we get to the future, let's maybe talk about the reality of running 
um, multiple products at the same time, right? You have DevUtils and you have Snapper. I don't know how much work goes into this. It's probably not massive, but there is work to be done. There's always maintenance and stuff. And Blackmagic needs to be not only like maintained, it needs to be transitioned and you need to train people. And then with Typing Mind, you're now also training people and you're building new features. How do you balance all of this? Like this feels like a lot of work for one person plus a couple of people helping. Right. <laughs> So as you can see, all of my products, not a lot of them are like recurring revenue, right? So they are mostly software. So Snapper, DevUtils are on software, low, low maintenance. I don't really have a server except for like license, license key checking server, like, right? So very small maintenance uh, effort for me. And from time to time, I just come back to add new features and push our new updates. And, and that's it. That is absolutely it. There's not a lot else going on. I don't even receive a lot of uh, customer emails anymore <laughs> for those products. So um, uh, low maintenance and for for typing my, which is the current active product. So that's why I spend like 80% of my time these days on typing mine. Uh, so, so because that's my primary product right now, right? And for black magic, uh, it is quite demanding when it was active, uh, when I was actively working on that because it's a person product and, and uh, a lot of customers use it every day and they send me requests, feedback, book reports. So, um, I think at the time I was run, I was still running black magic. I, I spent more of the time on black magic because it was a very demanding business and the other, the other software, um, not a must maintenance needed. So, even though I have multiple products, but I only focus mainly one at a time. See, so, <laughs> so I, I, I don't feel like it that difficult as you would imagine. Uh, let's say if I have multiple like recurring revenue businesses right now, it could be very difficult for me for sure. I, I, I would think I cannot, uh, be like sustainably run two businesses at the same time. But for a software business, it's just like uh, you have an app on the app store and it just keeps making you money. Nice. <laughs> you can yeah. come back and, 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 and uh, release an update whenever you want. Uh, but uh, other than that, there's not much else going on. Sounds like mostly passive income, mostly, but still mostly. kind of, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, so cool. Which I haven't uh, pushed out a new bit for Snapper for quite a while, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Yeah. I have a couple ideas. <laughs> no, but right. no, no, no pressure. It's a tool. It's it's definitely good enough for yeah. for what I need, right? And there's always there's always room to improve, but you don't have the same. I I, th- I think the same pressure to add 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 features with oh, a sure, product that doesn't have this recurring cost and recurring revenue attached. Cool. Um, so couple of standalone software products, uh, on the way out, black magic going to somebody else, still kind of working on that and putting all of your efforts on typing mind. Where, where is this going? What, what are your goals as an indie hacker? Like, do, do you have like long term goals for this? Do you have short term goals? What's the, what's the future holding for you? Uh, I don't really have a long, long term goal or a long term plan. I am really bad at planning. I guess I just got to, uh, one thing I wanted to do in the far future is, is to make a lot of money, a lot of money. Mm, okay. That's a good goal. <laughs> and uh, at some point where I can just buy any house that I, that I want, that is the, the level that I want to reach. Previously, it was like 5k a month, which is, uh, when I was first started my, my indie journey. I want to make 5k a month. And at that point, I will be independent and I don't have to go to work for any company anymore. 
and I will, with that kind of money, I can live anywhere in Vietnam or at least in C, <laughs> uh, not in the U.S. You know, but yeah. Um, but but right now, now that I have achieved that and have lived that life for more than a year now, I think there's still quite few things that I cannot <laughs> do yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Compared to you know Peter levels and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that there could be a very deadly trap that you can yeah. just keep going forward so I, I told myself that I uh, yeah yes I want to make a lot of money right now to the point where I just can I can just buy any house that I want without looking you know closely at the price but I would do that in a very peaceful pace and enjoy life at the same time so every day uh, this day only, I only work like four hours a day and uh and whenever i want it i just take a day off and um i i purposely make all of my business so that i don't really have any contract any deadline and because of that i also don't le- give any deadline to my employees and my freelancers so um, trying to achieve that goal without sacrificing sacrificing life and family yeah. you know so <laughs> that that feels like a, a much more relatable goal than making infinite amounts of money right because yeah. like, living the life there's always that you something enjoy. else to look up so right and, yeah. and that's that's the the hedonic adaptation problem right the treadmill where you just keep running 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 i think uh it's smart for you to recognize it already that 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 is a problem potentially but it's also a good goal i mean if you if you want to live the life that you dream of then having that dream there's no problem with that i i think that's a it's a really nice transition from you know where you are right now to where you might go i think yeah. living the day as you want to take being able to take days off that is one thing that i had after I, i had my exit for the very first time in my life you know having a choice over my own time that that makes such a difference in the quality of life so i'm glad that you're at this point already i'm glad you're you know what i'm glad you're seeing success in all these different varieties, you know, like you, you got your half a million dollar offer, didn't take it. And then you got another offer and you did take it. I mean, that's still an offer. That's still an acquisition, yep. right? It may not yeah. be the perfect thing, but we never get the perfect thing anyway. So yeah. it's, um, I think it's, it's, <laughs> okay. uh, right. It's, it's great that you did it and it's great that you share it. So thank you so much for sharing all of these things here with me today. And obviously all day, every day on Twitter, um, If people want to find out more about you and follow you on your journey to being able to buy whatever house you want, where do you want them to go? Where do, what do you want them to check out? Uh, the easiest way uh, right now is to go to tonyden.com, tonyden.com, which is my name.com. Uh, uh, from there, you can see my Twitter. Or if you want to hear my horrible username on Twitter, it is T-D-I-N-H underscore M-E. Underscore me. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I, I guess it will be easier to go to tonyden.com and see all my links over there. I do have a newsletter um, on my website uh, where I share all the, these stories, including the, uh, the acquisition story with a lot more details and numbers in there <laughs> compared to what I share uh, here on the podcast. So um, yeah, thank yeah, you. The- That, well, thank you so much. I recommend following you on Twitter. Obviously, I think most people that um, are in the indie hackerspace should already follow you if the 90,000 followers is any indication. But still, that is a, a, a Twitter account worth following. And the, the newsletter, I'm subscribed to it too. I think I think you're so good for sharing all of the numbers and all the details that just makes it more real and gives people 
both things to look up to and to compare themselves to and to aspire to and to see like the ups and downs of a journey. Highly recommend that newsletter. Tony, thank you so much for being on the show today and talking to me about all these things, your long journey and your many products. That was really, really insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And that's it for today. Remember when Tony almost sold his business in the beginning? Well, this is where our sponsor comes in. Tony even mentioned Acquire.com by name. That's how established they already are in the indie hacker world. And the scenario where Tony almost sold his business is all too common. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built this solid SaaS product. You've acquired customers. You're making money, consistent monthly recurring revenue. The problem is that you're just not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest, and you feel stuck. What should you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down and somehow reignited your fire, you got past yourself in the cliches, and you started working on your business rather than just in the business. You started building this audience and you move out of your comfort zone and do sales and marketing and in six months you've tripled your revenue. Well, reality is not that simple. Situations are different for every founder who's facing this particular crossroad. And too many times the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the business becomes less valuable or worse, worthless. And if you find yourself here or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I can offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on acquire.com at any stage. Capitalizing on the value of your time is a smart move. Acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already. Go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. And thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books and my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will really, really help the show. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.